we don't want to mimic anything that anybody else does. So it's really important. The research, even if you're local, you still have to do the local, regional, national, and international research to see the direction those things go. So we want to make sure we're not triggering any of those distinctive assets that make people think of other brands. And we also want to make sure that we're kind of rooted in the likeness of our category, because at the end of the day, if you're too weird, it doesn't work. This is Digital Marketer. Hey everyone, this is Mark DeGrasse, the president of Digital Marketer, and this is the podcast that keeps you up to date on everything you need to know when it comes to digital marketing, from the platforms you be focused on to the kinds of tactics and tools that are working today. Today, our guest is Stephen Frey, the founder of Brand Science, and today we're doing actually a follow-up podcast from his previous one where we discussed basically the definition of branding and kind of how brands confuse or how companies confuse what a brand actually is. So if you haven't heard that one, I definitely suggest you go back and listen to that one first, because today we're getting into some of the nitty gritty aspects of actually figuring out what you should do to discover your brand and start communicating that to the world. So welcome, Stephen. Thanks for having me, Mark. And thanks again, listeners, for joining us on this episode. Uh, so excited to have you tuning in today uh, with Mark and I as we talk about some advanced concepts of branding. Really excited to be here. Well, I think that's, uh, you know, the the advanced concepts are basically all concepts of branding for a lot of people, because I think it's a, a very confusing term. So so just to, to kind of rehash what we talked about last time, uh, could you just give us a basic definition of what you think, uh, you know, what we should be looking at when we say, I'm going to define my brand? Sure. So we can get to that. We really just want to remind ourselves of what our baseline is. Uh, a lot of people like to have conversations about brand that engage feelings and emotions, experiences, and those are valid. I just want to set those. It's like a happy little puppy. I just want to set this puppy over here and just set it down because we're going to have a different conversation today. And that baseline starts with just a very functional understanding, because if we don't all start from the same understanding, this episode's not going to make any sense. So kind of our baseline is marketing is any activity that helps promote trade. So you don't make cell phones. I don't make cars. How do we know whom to purchase from? So brands exist as mnemonic devices, as a ways to recall. So marketing says, hey, do business with me. And then branding is the color, the shape, the icons, the illustrations, the pictures, any of the sensory assets that exist in the marketing. So already right there, we've just kind of drawn a line between marketing is the stuff we share. And you notice over the past few years, and I know that you guys have uh, a role in this is helping teach people understand digital marketing, because that's a newer tool, a newer type of marketing. Well, as technology and time changes, those tools and mediums always change, but the goal is still the same. The goal is to say, hey, do business with me. And what we're doing is we're trying to increase people's mental availability, or I like to say top of mindness. Like they want, we want them to think of you first. And the way we do that is by creating memories. So in the last episode, we talked a little bit about how we do that. And the way we do that is by having highly distinct and highly famous brand assets. So I associate you guys with the little digital marketer typeface and the wheel and the colors. And, and those are just a few examples. So when I see that, it helps me recognize that. So our baseline that we're starting from today is we're going to talk about some advanced branding concepts, but we want to all start from the same foundation of 
Marketing is anything that helps promote functional trade to do business. Branding is the mnemonic or memory-based devices in there. And any marketing activity, whether it's PR, digital marketing, um, you know, uh, pay-per-click ads, any of those things, everyone's goal is to increase the mental and physical availability of the brand. So that's kind of our starting point today that we want to start with, and we can get into some other things. Oh, I love that. Oh, and I think it's a really way to to kind of define branding versus marketing, because I think the two just got kind of interchanged and, well, one's part of the other and both and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, if you don't have, uh, if people can't recognize who you are, then all the marketing in the world is just going to lead to the requirement of new marketing to remind people about the service or, you know, the solution that your company offers. When branding, if you can establish it, it creates those mnemonic devices that you're talking about where people will just recognize recognize you. So I think, you know, back when I was doing at my agency, I used to define branding as recognize me. Like that was my definition was two words. And I'm like, oh, that, that basically settles it. And, and here's the thing, people who are having conversations about branding and they're mostly right. Yeah. They're mostly right. They, 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 you know, you'll, you can look up, you know, branding agencies and hopefully you type in quantum branding Nashville, uh, you type, but when you go and you talk to them, they're all talking about the majority of the same things. The interesting thing is I like to, to really secure myself in the knowledge of we understand why here's the science. Doesn't mean they're wrong, but you know I have an active relationship with exploring and explaining the metrics of how we can make sure uh, and how we can advance your company. So, uh, and there's other organizations across the world that do that. And one of the most famous one is the Ehrenberg Base Institute. And that's where folks like um, Mars Pet Care, one of my former clients, um, Mondelez, some of the big giants, blue chip companies pay millions of dollars to access this information. So this isn't new, it's just new to us. Mm -hmm. And we're so used to accessing a lot of this information kind of on the back of the bus. Just like, what are the cool kids saying? What are we learning on the streets? What are the books that are out? When really there's kind of these definitive sources of here's how we study these things. And I kind of don't want you to learn about marketing or the birds and the bees or who's cool this week on the back of the bus. I would love for you to learn from an authoritative source. So that's why I like talking about brand science so much. Ah, I, I love that. Well, it, it's such a vital com you know, component of all business and people just kind of look over it like, oh, I need a logo. That's that's branding. Sure. It's like, oh, sure. Yeah, it's, it's a little tiny piece of it. So for the, the small business owners out there that now are starting to understand, okay, I understand branding. I really want to do it. How do I get started? Because I can't hire a million dollar firm sure. to define sure, my sure. brand. But and here's the thing. When we look at these big, and I will answer your questions with a small caveat. When we see these big companies, we look at them and we think that they are at this high level that we can't access. But what we can actually take from them are the practices. And those are these, that's what I want to share with you is what are the practices? And I would say the first number one practice is, is utilizing distinctive brand assets. That's really, you know, what it comes down to. And there's actually seven laws of growth that uh, I love to share with folks. Um, and, and I think that's actually a really good, uh, that's the number one rule on the on the laws of growth is to actually uh, utilize uh, distinctive brand assets. So that's the first thing on the list. Um, and if you're not sure what a distinctive brand asset is, go out and check our our, our other episode. Uh, but really quickly, it's any any distinctive um, element. 
And I say distinctive because it has to be distinct. So um, example, you go to a coffee shop, pictures of coffee beans and coffee blossoms and a truck and a roaster and all that stuff. That's a shared memory structure. You can't own that like story, but you can own the color of the apron. You can own the names of the drinks and everyone's like thinking Starbucks right now. And I was actually thinking, maybe I was thinking, you know, Seattle's best. So they have red and the little umbrella. And so those are the distinctive elements that just are unique to them. And so that's colors, single color combinations, the design, the colored use of the mark, word assets, taglines, fonts, words, maybe your product name or a process name. Story assets can be the graphic style. Uh, think of, you know, uh, the uh, old iPhone or I'm sorry. Yeah, it's an iPhone. Uh, or iPod commercials where the people were dancing with the mm. silhouette. That was a distinct graphic style. It was bright colors. And how that how would you call that? That actually fits in a category we call story assets. Everything from popping a Mentos to twisting an Oreo and dunking it. Mm. Those are moments, you know, oh, I should have had a V8. That's, uh, you know, those are story moments. Uh, but then also photography style, um, even your archetype comes into this, your story assets, uh, your sound assets. Uh, that could be a vocal style. I'm Tom Baudet and I'll leave the light on for you. There could be non-vocal sounds, which is like the, the noise the app makes. And then mm. you've got shape assets. The shape assets can be shapes that are in your brain mark, shapes that you use on your packaging, the shape of the package itself. Um, or illustration components. And then the last ones, uh, the last one out we left um, is music. So there's jingles, popular songs, background music. And then uh, the other one is human assets. So uh, you and I are kind of human assets. We're spokespeople for our organization. So people get to know our face. So you, you, you know this very much to be true. So when I go to your LinkedIn page and I hit you up the first time, I was like, hey, so great. Looking forward to connect with you. Profile, I see pictures of you. You know, you're a spokesperson. You could also hire celebrities or have cartoon characters, but color, word, story, character, or human, sound, shape, and music. These are the sensory categories. And the first thing you want to do, first thing, you got to count how many you have. How many that are unique to you? I'm the only one doing this. And you may be like, is my photography specific to me? Does my photography show pictures of people in your polos talking to customers or is it from a stock photography site? And I'm not knocking that. All I'm saying is that it's not really a distinctive asset if other people can use it. That's mm. all. It's a great So first thing we want to do, um, I've actually got a tool um, and we're going to hopefully put this in the show notes, but it's a, it's a bit.ly link. It's pretty easy. It's bit.ly forward slash brand science checklist. And on this checklist, the whole goal is to help you guide you through these questions of, do you have a brand marker logo? Yes. Okay. Is there a horizontal? Is there? So all the questions are very easy. The goal is to count them up at the end. And then you can know, oh, do I need to create more assets? Do I maybe need to test these? Or is it time to test and refine the ones I have? The goal is for you to have at least 20 to 30 distinctive brand assets. And that may sound a lot, but when you have, you know, and, and if you're, you're familiar with design a little bit, and maybe you, you've talked and done a, a few things of your own, you know that, oh, like we have a different font or a typeface for 
our header than our body copy or for pull quotes. So you could have three distinct typefaces that you use, and then you have your brand mark name and already a category can have four or five in there. So it's really easy to fill these categories up when you do the questionnaire. The goal is we want to have 20 to 30 initially. The average brand today, whether you are an agency, whether you're working with your client or your small business, believe it or not, they actually only have three to five. They only have their, right. their signature color, maybe a tagline, the colorized use of their mark. And if we're really, really, really creative, maybe a typeface that they use throughout the site to help like really drive the, the concept and, and the archetype of their brand. Uh, that's not going to help you get in the minds of people and then remind you, remind them to do business with you because our goal is to make memories. And that's why we have to go back to this memory-based world. We have our autopilot brain. We talked about this in the first episode. 95% of the time, our brain is just making sense of the world without, around us and absorbing it all in. You're on the elevator and then later you're singing the song you heard, Girl from Ipanema on the card. Like, where'd that come from? That is the same thing with brands. You're doing this all day long. So Coca-Cola, we look at them and they're like, well, I don't have a big budget. No, because they're at scale and you're maybe at inception or traction or growth, but they have a lot of assets. What are they doing? They're building and they're refreshing. You can build and refresh yours too. So that's first thing on our list that uh, doesn't matter how big your organization is. If you are making 10K a month, if you're making 10K a day, if you're taking making 10K a minute, regardless of the size of your business, this is the number one step for you to go through is count your distinctive brand assets so that you can understand the sensory categories and see where your brand's ability is to drive that top of minus that we talked about is so important. Uh, I love that. Well, and it's, uh, you know, that sounds like a big first step <laughs> because it's like the seven items. If you 30, can yeah, count, so. <laughs> if you can count and make a list, they're all going to say, you got one. this, you Logo. got this, you get a <laughs> Okay. So well, I'll just to illustrate this point, cause I, cause I love the point and, and I've tried to do it a million different ways to explain when I had my website agency, like, Hey, here's why we have to have these things. Uh, it was always super difficult to, to help people conceptualize the, you know, what needs to happen. So to help us, uh, we do have our example company. We call them Hazel and Hems. Hazel and Hems is a sustainable <clears throat> apparel boutique here in Austin, Texas. They cater to 25 to 35 year old uh, kind of career women who want to, you know, be kind of that boho hipster style. Uh, but they're all about sustainability. Now, for sure. a brand like that, how would you go through, uh, you know, those seven elements of uh, kind of sensory branding that you're talking about to help them define the smell of the shop sure. and the sounds and so the first thing we would do with is just count, like, just ask, like, do you have these assets all right? Do you have any? Have you started a brand mark? Where are you in that process? You know, and so whether Hazel and Hems has or hasn't, you know, we would sit down and yes, there's a valuable conversation about values and things you want to communicate in your big picture. Why? But here's the interesting thing. Brand science method can actually set that down and say, okay, that's a great conversation. We want to have it. That's also just a different conversation. We're going to set it over here because we're going to go do research and say, okay, locally, what are all the other stores that are serving your customers doing? Mm. Then we're going to look locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, and see what are the category norms. So small women's boutique stores 
and, you know, say 25 to 55 professional women, uh, you know, type wardrobe store, we're going to look at like, oh, what colors are people using? What are the typefaces? And we'll come back with norms and the norms help identify what are the main things in the category. Um, and the main things in the category are the typefaces, sans serif slab, serif handwritten display, shapes, are there common shapes, color, um, MSRP may even be, be, be in, in, you know, if this is, you know, uh, we just worked with uh, a seltzer brand. So we came back and said like, oh, what is a 12 pack? What is a 24 pack? Like, cause that's a category norm. So some of these are going to be specific to you. Like I need, probably need to know if I'm trying to sell a woman's top, you know, blouse, uh, what is the average ticket for that? Is mm -hmm. it luxury? Is it economy? But here's the interesting thing. Even if you're luxury or economy, you still compete against everyone else in that category. If I buy a coach purse and a little fun fact, coach used to be sold at Walmart. Uh, if I go to buy a coach purse, I also compete against Michael Coors and all the other Louis Vuittons and all the other bag brands. I don't just compete against economy or luxury. Your brain has one box. So that's why MSRP may be an, a really important thing for you to understand. Copy and tone or another one, understanding like, is this second person, first person, how are we talking? And then what is the focus? The focus, um, you know, what is the unique opportunity or the thing you're trying to get them, their attention to? So this would be different, whether you're a realtor, whether you're a seltzer company or, you know, Hazel and Helms, their focus may be on some of the internal values of, you know, uh, you know, you're a professional working professional. Well, let your creativity shine and also look sharp, like, you know, so that would be where we get into content strategy and archetype, like what is, mm. what is the internal motivator behind them? But the, the, the first thing you got to do is we've got to go do the research because here's the interesting thing is you can't actually just build a brand. A lot of people do, they do it every day and it could work. You know, it's like the drinking from a cup, it's going to, yeah, you can drink anything from the cup, but just because it's in the cup doesn't mean you should drink drink it. So it's mm -hmm. the same thing with 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 branding. If we're not having designers uh, who are educated somewhat, and I'm going to say somewhat because not every agency out there is brand science certified yet, and you know those things that we want to we I, I want everyone to know this, and that's our that's why we're talking about it. So, but if they're not imploring some of those really really basic research tools that help you look at the landscape, you may be getting a color that someone else may use, maybe not locally, but nationally. So then when you mm -hmm. try to grow Hazel and Hems to your larger national chain store, oh my gosh, you look just like Chico's or you look, so you, we don't want to mimic mm -hmm. anything that anybody else does. So it's really important. The research, even if you're local, you still have to do the local regional, national, and international research to see the direction those things go. So we want to make sure we're not triggering any of those distinctive assets that make people think of other brands. And we also want to make sure that we're kind of rooted in the likeness of our category. Because at the end of the day, if you're too weird, it doesn't work. So I don't know if we may, we talked about cookies last time. Um, I love going down the cookie aisle to see uh, what the, the really creative folks at Oreo are coming up with these days. And it's, you know, like lemon sunshine zest or, you know, carrot cake bunny, like they, they, no bunnies are made in the cookies, by the way, you know, but like, there's all these flavors 
And here's the interesting thing. For the most part, brands are all near knockoffs of each other. Whether it's Hydrox or it's Oreo, there was actually um, a lawsuit that just uh, uh, was was uh, decided on by the Federal Trade Commission because these um, basically these THC cookies were were mimicking the trade dress and likeness so much it was confusing customers. Mm. And yeah, so that's an open and shut case. Yeah. Now, all sugar packets are this size. You can design how you want anything you want on your sugar packet company. But here's the interesting thing. Yellow means Splenda. Green means Stevia. Blue mm. means Sweet and Low. So even if you don't use that trademark name, you're still using that trade dress. So the research component is really, really important. And you really want to get a rooted understanding of what everyone else is doing. And there's really not a magic um, like number, but I like to say like, who's 25 of your local, 25 of your regional, 25 of your national, 25 of the international, like that gives you a subset of a hundred. <laughs> and by the time you get through 39 of them, law about this by the time you get to 37 to 39 you have enough information to make to draw a conclusion usually there's enough data there so if you're getting a subset and you're taking a look at a snapshot of your industry you're going to get a sense of what are the words everyone uses what are the shapes everyone uses, and you're going to see a more clearer opportunity of what you can add to your mm. uh, brand assets that, that's awesome You want to prioritize your work that will really move the needle for your business's growth, but you're not sure how to do that while keeping up with all the repetitive day-to-day -day tasks. Keep Sales and Marketing Automation software is designed to help small business teams take their time back from busy work. It helps you organize your customer and lead information in one place, automate follow-ups and appointments, get paid faster, and stay on top of opportunities in your sales pipeline, all while freeing your team up to focus on the work that will have the biggest impact. Here at Digital Marketer, we've trusted Keep to help us get real results from our campaigns for 10 years. Visit keep.com slash DM to learn more and get Keep's Lifestyle Automation Guide, which walks you through their proven framework for growth and helps you identify gaps in your customer lifecycle. That's keepkeap.com slash DM. Well, I think the, uh, you know, what you said about going at that macro level of research. Cause I think for small business owners, especially people who are just lo locally focused specifically, they don't think of that. They're like, well, I'm the only shop sure. in town. I don't care what anybody's doing outside of my city. And they're not really thinking of that scalability or potential lawsuits in the future. So that's, sure. that's great. And, and you said it, you said it with lawsuits. Um, I, I get so disheartened when somebody comes to me and they're like, Hey, uh, would you do work with us? And I'd be like, I would love to. Here's a few more questions for you. D, are you like registered in your state? Is this signed off by a trademark lawyer? And they're like, what? Why would I need to do that? Because I don't want to work with a brand if they haven't done that due diligence. And I can help guide them through that and connect them with partners to do so. But if you aren't sure that your IP is rock solid, and then you invest 5, 10, 25, you know, whatever amount, of money, anything invest in that brand, and only to three to five years later down the road, get a cease and desist letter. Mm. That's like one of the most discouraging things. And then here's where we get some bad taste in our mouth. We get bad taste in our mouth when we go and we engage a marketing agency, they come back with a brand book and 
it doesn't speak to our category or our category norms. It may be really distinct. Like we told them we love blue and circles and hate squares. We told them some of that personal stuff, but that's actually not the, the little, um, I don't know if I said this last time, but semiotics, the little boxes in our mind that we categorize stuff in, um, you have to work in those boxes, those pre-existing boxes. And they're often contextual and cultural. Um, so culturally and contextual relevancy. So, so like when I say, Hey, Mark, think of something that's white, that's in the fridge, you know, that's a condiment, that's a vegetable in a jar, your mind went milk, mayo, yogurt, you know, Mm. know, like you went through and, and you got to those boxes. Well, our, our mind has these March madness brackets and we don't realize them and neither does those marketing agencies. So they may hand you a brand that looks good right now but it doesn't actually communicate intrinsically. So then we get angry at them and we're angry at them, rightfully so, because we don't feel like they did their job. Or sometimes we feel like, oh, maybe it's our fault. We didn't do our job. So it's just me. And so then we go to the latest workshop. We go to the latest, you know, uh, new book thing. And we try to work on our brand and like, oh, the hero framework. And that is a great tool. It's one tool. It's not all the tools. It's just one tool. And there are some other important components of how people think that if that is not in line, then we can't build the rest of the company up and all that work on those is not going to work. So at the end of the day, we want to make sure first counter assets. Uh, you can do that with the brand science checklist at bit.ly forward slash brand science checklist. Second one is just assess your category norms. Take a snapshot locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. Who are the top few players? And if you have a marketing manager, this is a great thing. Delegate this to them. Be like, hey, uh, this is what we're going to do this quarter. Like say, give them a time period saying, we're going to work on this this quarter. We really want to understand and make sure that we're versed in understanding how our customers talk. That's first base. And then how our industry operates. That's third base so that we can hit a home run. And we don't want to hit it to any of the IP that would make anybody else think of us. So first one is count your assets. Uh, second one, assess your category norms. Uh, the third one is is actually synthesize and review and learn. Like this sounds really, really weird, but I have to make it a step because because it's like doing a disk profile. Um, did you you guys ever have like the folks at Digital Marketer do disk profiles or assessments? Do you guys ever do that? Uh, yeah, we actually do it at hiring. So uh, yeah, I do it at hiring. It's and then the how often do you talk about that afterwards? Is it like a common thing? <laughs> no, now we know you. You're here. <laughs> right, 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 right. So here's the interesting thing. This is like one of those assessments. We've counted our assets. We've assessed our category norms. And oh, Steven's a DC or he's curiosity and wonder, you know, in, in this other one. And they're like, or some people like put like, oh, you're a lion and I'm an otter and she's a chameleon. But like, if we don't actually integrate it, we can't make any forward movement. Like if I don't understand mm. that I can't jump you and I should give you things so that you could be prepared, prepared if that's like your, your personality style, that's going to help me learn to relate to you better. Mm. So how do we want to, we want to relate to our customers, our internal culture and our brand ourselves better. So step really number three is really integrate your findings, synthesize, um, synthesize what you found. What are the typefaces? What are the shapes? What are all the stuff that's in the distinctive brand asset palette? That's what you can look and and measure what everyone else is doing with. And you'll come back 
back with understanding category use Arif's blue in his first person obnoxious. I didn't realize <laughs> that. And then you can say, wait a second. Um, are we first person obnoxious in blue? Ooh, like there's a learn, there's like an assessment. There's an assessment that happens is to integrate your findings and synthesize. Uh, does that make sense? What what I'm curious what uh, comes up as I share that, that <laughs> third step with you. Actually, all the steps. So I will say, like at first, as you started to describe it, I was like, holy crap, that is so much work. Like I, I'm trying to picture trying to take one of my past clients and I, I dealt a lot with startups and underfunded mom and pops. And I was trying to elevate all micro business and it was its own beast, <laughs> which I don't know if I, no, I'm still trying to help. I can't help it. Uh, but I'm trying to picture like walking people through the science of branding. And it sounds like a lot, but the more you talk, the more I was like, oh my gosh, it's almost irresponsible not to do those steps because you're setting yourself up for potential failure or calamity or lawsuits in the future if you don't do these things. And they should happen anyways, because you can't really build a solid brand unless you have all those components in place and have done your IP research, done your copywriting research, really looked at your micro and macro competitors. And then now you're capable of creating something unique because you understand what already exists. And if you don't have that, then even if you inadvertently, accidentally break a bunch of copyright law, <laughs> you're still going to be in big trouble. So right. you have to. So, so I, sure. you know, at first I was like, this is too much work for a small business owner to do. And then, then I came around to, okay, this is just like filing your taxes or, you know, sure. uh, gain your business. It's like license. going to the gym. Like, are you wearing the right shoes? Have you done this exercise before? Do you know what exercising is? Like, there's a couple little prerequisites. If you want to have a business, you need to have your business registered. You need to make sure that's signed off. And because branding has this bad rap as being this emotional, experiential driven thing. Now, here's the interesting thing. We said that conversation is sitting over here, but all we want to do is just reference, yes, and our connection is memories. That's, mm. that's why they have such a strong, that conversation is such a strong pull because it is about memories and addressing perception. So now we're going to set that back over there. But memories and addressing perception are the number one thing, because if we can address perception, we can influence behavior. You know, simply just shoving a new sign that says under new management typically doesn't do the work that's necessary. Um, we actually just had a, a really notable uh, uh, local coffee chain around town uh, there was a walkout. Hmm. And then what did the person in charge or someone do? They were blasting, you know, on the news and saying that they're wrong. Like, but here's the thing, even if they were wrong, is that the the best, is that the best use Crazy. of your time? And, and, and <laughs> you know, so we all know where this story is going. They did a horrible job. There's a walkout. Now several of those stores are closed um, and the low cost leaders are loving it. They're like, the fancy brands down. Um, but here's the interesting thing is that culture and mm. that culture and memories and brand, there's a relationship there between your internal brand, you know, why you're doing what you do, who you are, what you do, why it matters. The leadership there is your core. And I actually kind of frame this, and this may be where we can take this is, uh, think about a pyramid. When you're building a pyramid, it has four sides. And what are pyramids meant to do? They're meant to house special, important things worth noting you know, whether it's King Tut or, you know, one of his 
was, you know, cronies. I'm not sure. Uh, but there pharaohs. A lot of people say aliens um, are power generation. Mother-in-laws. I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that King Tut, you know, if he had a mother-in-law, she would want her own nearby so she could visit. Anyways. But when you think of a, a pyramid, there's something in the middle that is the whole focus. And that is really your brand, your big idea. And then the foundation of that is obviously your core values, your leadership, your people and your products. That's what I would define as the bottom of this pyramid and what mm. we're building together. But as we're building our brand up, pyramids are four-sided, folks. So you may have millions of dollars in sales, but you're struggling with your conversion and your campaigns to your customers. Why? Because they just don't think of you first. And so we're throwing money our, our marketing could be more effective if we had, which is what I call a brand platform. And your brand platform is exactly that. It's your distinctive brand assets. It's understanding those things that we talked about very briefly, your big idea, your people, your products, your team, and your leadership that make that all happen. And then that first layer, because if I'm trying to increase my operations and I don't have a brand platform, my pyramid falls. If I'm trying to scale uh, my marketing up, um, I had a question yesterday. Somebody asked me, Stephen, do I do ads? And I was like, do you have your brand platform? Like, no. I said, so you don't even know what to put in your ads. You don't have assets to put in your ads. How can you scale in ads? And we want customers. So we're like, yes, ads. Here's the interesting thing. Ads are like when you have your, have your, have your shit figured out yeah. and you now can go to market and people have bought it already and you've gotten feedback. So you need that traction and you've tested and now you've optimized and now you want to scale it. We want to like pour gasoline on this and then we're like, oh, too much, turn the heat down. Oh, pour a little bit more and more gas or, you know, propane, whatever your fuel choice is here. You know, but we want to be able to turn that up and down. And so ads don't work unless you have the assets. So it all keeps coming back. It all keeps coming back. And I, I talked to million dollar companies, um, three figures, you know, $250 million dollar company wanted to make this new direction with product lines. And I'm like, at the end of the day, the customer, if you're going direct to customer, doesn't know who you are. The industry knows who you are. So then there was a perception as you. And I'm like, we have to build this brand platform first. And they were hesitant, they were hesitant, they were hesitant. And after two years of work, we went to market and they had 90 million in five days of direct-to-retailer uh, commitments because now people understood that, oh, they don't just make the stuff for the people, they make stuff for us. Oh. It took two years. Do you think that was worth their investment? It came back, it was less than like a hundred thousandth of their investment on what they made. It was oh. unbelievable. But they couldn't steer that ship there until they addressed that brand perception, that brand platform. So simply stated, your brand platform is exactly what we've talked about already. It's it's counting your assets. It's the language that you're using. We call that uh, assessing your category norms and things and, and those words and the language you use and integrating that and then your, your copy. That's your content strategy. It's how are you doing your things. So when we look at that pyramid, the pyramid um, has... Your, your distinctive brand assets, your content strategy, your archetype. And those are kind of the three main things. Like we can't really get anywhere unless we have these. Because then what? You can't hand them and talk to anybody about it. Like you mm. can't, hey, Mark, here's the stuff for, you know, um, Hemlock and Hems. 
you know, uh, or Hazel, I'm sorry, Hazel, Hazel and Hems. You know, here's the stuff, <laughs> here's the stuff for Hazel and Hems. And what are you going to do? You're going to want to get your first few customers in the door. Like, yeah, you may have tags and, and in-store signage and stuff that's consistent, but until you actually validate that your product works, we can't start marketing it because we don't know that it resonates. And so that's part of that whole first step. So when I think of a business phase and stage, we're going first through traction, then we're testing and optimizing, we're growing, and then we're trying to scale. And our goal is to become that category leader, one women's brand. It's to be the number one local, you know, Austin-based um, working professional women's wear brand or, or workwear brand. Like, like it's a conceptual authority. And, and I think it's a, the, a good fourth step is work on identifying what is your, and I'm going to not say USP, unique service proposition, but like, like identify what is your main distinction points. Like mm. if you're a cookie, are you chocolate chip or are you white chocolate chip? Like, like, cause those little distinctions are what people remember. So mm. it's like clothes that are, you know, t-shirts that are snug on the side, but snug in the arms, but loose in the tummy. Is that a distinction point for some brands? Mm. You know, is it big floral prints and festive seasonal colors? Like, Think of yourself as a cookie and think what are the flavorings that help your cookie be you? And this will actually demystify all the marketing jargon that we try to like, well, we're the X that does the Y for the Z. I'm like, that's so great. That's a great sentence. What kind of cookie are you? Still don't know. Jessica. What do you think? Does that make sense about the cookie thing? I, I really like... I, no, I, I love it. When well, we shift I, it into a simpler example, it it feels more profound, at least to me. Not just that, but I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people, everybody has unique products and unique brands, but in a lot of industries, you're selling a commodity and a cookie is a commodity. And how do you make a commodity special? Is you add ingredients and special aspects that make it unique. But at the end of the day, if your cookie is not unique, it's just a commodity sure. and people will- sure take it when they need it. If something's cheaper, they're going to go to it. There's no brand loyalty that could occur. And honestly, this is exactly why marketing doesn't work more than once in a lot of cases sure. is because they don't have this you know, uh, base platform to build off of. So what they're doing is accidental acts of marketing where it's like, oh yeah, we did this campaign mm -hmm. like, and yeah. uh, and we we made a bunch of money and it was great, but we haven't been able to do anything since. So, it's, it's so and that's why I like your approach with brand science, which is it's a repeatable scientific right. process, yeah. which no scientific pro or no science, uh, no experiment is successful unless it can, be repeated to validate sure. a theory. So and here's a great example for Hazel and Helms. If, if Hazel and Helms came to me, we could through in four to six weeks, depending on how many times they have to talk to their business partners typically, or, you know, <laughs> like, but if it's just I'm one really person, we can do it faster. One person. But that's why it's Hazel, if, you know, it's just, if, <laughs> oh, hems if, you know, but like a hem, a shirt hem. Yes, 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 yes. But there may be a, um, um, 
you know, I thought it was Chris Hemsworth. What are you talking about? No, I'm just kidding. actually, no, um, it was Hazel Hemsworth. I think it was the the you know pretend name of the person, and then we were right. like, Hems is like a hem. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing: if if Hazel and Hems came came could right now in four to six weeks go through the brand science process, identify their findings, and come up with either a new brand, revitalize the brand that they have with more assets, or come up with a completely new direction that accomplishes. And this is the interesting thing is most people think branding is a one-off thing. Well, yes, at the first part, there is like strategy and some things that go into it. But then every 90 days, our goal is to be adding assets. And we're going to be adding assets because our customers are going to be, um, if we only have 10 to 15, we don't want to add 30. We only want to add two to three or, or five at most, maybe two typefaces and a series of pictures. And even just a series of pictures, maybe a lot visually that's new. So then we want to rotate them. You know, so there's a, a strategic plan of how are we, you know, building, you know, for Coke Zero, there's initially was, you know, the black can. And, and then we know that black means no sugar. And then it's football time. Then there's footballs on it. And then recently they announced, you know, here's my man Coke, I call it, you know, Coke Zero. It's now in the red with the black. They refreshed mm. it. So I notice it but we don't want to refresh it so violently that people get upset. And you're like, that's too much. And we've seen that happen with Tropicana, another brand where people have such strong opinions when it was refreshed so harshly that didn't evolve the brand. Mm. Um, you know, you mentioned a couple of things that made me think of uh, accidental acts of marketing. Uh, here's a couple of things that uh, you may think are distinct, but actually aren't. Um, family owned and operated. Unless you are the only person in your industry or town that does family owned or operated, the world I live in is made out of them are very rich people and they own some pretty big companies. So I can, you know, call it family owned and operated too. Um, service. You say like our legendary service, uh, legendary service and incredible service or ninja service or some of these terms that I hear, you know. Uh, our service gurus, our happiness uh, architects. No. <laughs> you should just be a decent, incredible, amazing person all the time to your customers. You shouldn't try to make it like that's your secret sauce. You're welcome. Uh, I remember, You're welcome for being pleasant for our service. <laughs> like that's the thing. So family owned and operated. Also, please stop saying unless you have dedicated, I don't know, I'm going to pull a, a Malcolm Gladwell quote here, 10,000 hours. If you go read that book, go read Blink. But unless you have 10,000 hours of experience and you are a master craftsman, don't say the word artisan or artisanal no. ever. Just because it looks like a child made it out of mud and gave it to their mommy and now it's in grocery stores everywhere does not mean that it's artisanal. Ugh. Or because no. it has deconstructed packaging that looks mediocre at best with a very simple sticker does not mean it's artisanal. So family owned and operated, artisanal. Now, organic, we're lucky that organic has some USDA, you know, Department of Agriculture terms. So be very careful about any of the claims that may have legal ramifications mm. towards the health and wellness of your customers. But I've got to say, if you are a local chiropractor firm, and you have maybe five people on staff, you know, uh, Dr. DCs, and you're a family, the fact that your family owned an operator just means you live in that town. 
That's not why people are coming to you. Now, if you said the shoulder and neck specialist, ooh, in a world where everyone's cracking backs, I want to go to a place that's a shoulder and neck specialist. Mm -hmm. Those are language and terms that are used every day in that category. They're not unique to you, but you're using it like a sprinkle. Oh, sprinkles on the cookie so that it's distinct. Everyone knows mm -hmm. what those ingredients are. Now, you may say we may have um, the snap fit process. Oh, that's a horrible name for a chiropractor. Don't use that. But if you had a special name for a process or for com comfort ease process, there, that's better. Yeah. Comfort ease. ease process where you go in and you just feel comfort and at ease by coming and visit. Oh, you have a patented like process or a machine or something or it's unique. And then all of a sudden you may go teach that to, you know, chiropractic firms all over the country and, and, you know, like that's when you use that, that's distinct. And that's when you invest in IP is right. when it's something that's legally, intellectually yours, a process or um, a product or something like that. So, so watch your IP, watch using words and claims, watch saying that uh, service is your unique identifier, like you're human and should be an incredible one and attract incredible ones and family owned and operator. Those are some kind of no-no's I just like to get out of the way uh, when we talk about branding. Oh, so yeah. well, we, we probably could do a whole episode on that. I think <laughs> because there's so many. Things. I'm back this for episode standard. three, where Stephen tells three, you yeah. all the stuff not to do. <laughs> well, you know, I think we need more than one episode to get through all this because just so, just to remind everybody, this is the basics. This is the these are the basics, beginning. and I want to oh, just no. refresh the basics that we're talking about. The goal is you want to make your brand easy to buy for everyone and you want to get noticed. And we talked about how step number one was count your assets because your goal is to create and use highly distinct. And the goal is for them to become famous. They may not be famous right now, but you know, everyone may know you as, you know, the, the purple cow you know, ice cream place. There's a giant cow and a snow cone, whatever. And maybe you have lavender ice cream. I don't know. But like that may be distinct to you, then use that. Don't just create arbitrary stuff uh, without looking first. Because mm. we actually find that actually sometimes arbitrary, like has no meaning, actually is more effective than trying to be like, well, we've been together 25 years and that means, you know, silver. So that's why we chose, you know, like when you're trying to teach people, you're not actually reaching emotionally distracted viewers. So all the brands that are reaching the emotionally distracted viewers are winning. And so get noticed, make it easy to nag them. Notice, attract, and get. Notice you, attract their attention and for them to get what it is because you're using distinctive brand assets. We already talked about refreshing and building structures. And obviously you wanna make it easy to buy for everyone. So just the, the, the fact that, you may have a very complicated persona. And I think we, if there's one episode we need to record, it's one on personas, but you want to attract as many types of buyers. And I'm just going to keep it at that and say, light, you want mild, you and you want moderate, you, you want all types of buyers. Don't just cater to one type of purchase. And because mm. you want to capture the most of the market and you want to be consistent and competitive. And those are actually the seven rules for brand growth. And they seem... So easy, you know, distinctive brand assets, refresh them, get noticed, make it easy to buy, reach all the buyers, consistent and competitive. Those are the brand laws of growth that empirically we know work based on brand science. 
But if we're not making intentional steps in our 90 day sprints with our business to evaluate things like just counting our assets or looking or like we, we can't really use these as a filter. Like we can't go to the gym until we've got the right shoes and like d- whether you have a plan because you downloaded an app or you meet with a trainer. So you can do this yourself or you could hire a professional like myself. You know, that's not the goal is to pitch you on this. Like anybody can do this. I, I'll tell you the brand science method. Um, you heard it first here, folks. Steven's new book. Brand science <laughs> but uh, it's the second book that's coming out. Um, first one's just brand science, but the, the goal is like, these are things that can, and you can do them. And I'm here to help you if you want to do it yourself, but you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know that this is the magical world of brand science and it's the magical world of memories, how do we even just step into Narnia here We in, in, understand how Narnia works. Well, Narnia works based on just these few basic things of using distinctive brand assets um, and creating a plan of assessing what you need to do and then, you know, how to move that forward. So -hmm. there's no prescriptive, here's the things you need to do. Like I can give you steps. So that's why I say count your assets because that's going to be different for everybody. And that's what I love about science because science says here are the variables and you are going to have different inputs and outputs. But the equation is the same. This is the same process that Fortune 500 companies had to go through when they started. In fact, they did go through. Did they know exactly the science of it? Some of them did. Some of them don't. But you can too by applying uh, some of these principles. Well, I I think all the principles are uh, fantastic. And I think they're all 100% necessary now that you've described it in so much detail. I'm like, holy crap, you know, (laughs) it's all because, you know, small business owners, they're in survival mindset. They want to get going. They want to start making money. And it's tough to convince them sometimes of like, hey, all this research that seems like it's not necessary until you're successful, until you're surviving, until you're growing, then you could worry about these things is completely wrong. And really, if people are serious about their company getting established, succeeding, uh, scaling into the future, then going through this stuff is just a completely essential step to business startup and isn't a luxury in any way, shape or form. So thank you for informing us of the basics. Uh, we're going to definitely have you back on to continue the talk because I think it's going to take us and like 10 to get you. through everything. And here's a really good example. I you, you said such a really good, you know, they're in survival mode. And I really would love, like, if you're in survival mode and you're doing your best, like, I feel you, I'm there for you. I hold that space for you. I would love if you can work on shifting that to not be survival mode and emergency mode, but thriving and growing mode. Mm. And the metaphor goes from, instead of like the, the oxygen mask, yeah, put the oxygen mask on yourself. And we use that, but here's, it's like stop, drop and roll. I learned that as a kid. I thought I'd have to use that a lot more than I have ever had. <laughs> so true. I've not stopped, drop and roll very much. I thought catching on fire. So I actually think of it like is food. Think of a really good metaphor for this is like, you want to like grow and learn and live, you know, have a great business. Well, are you nourishing your own body? And like, are you eating? Like, are you eating food? Like, that's just like, and here's the thing. It's just like, are you taking a shower? Like you can take any daily activity of life and use this. You've got to, you go to work out. Well, you've got to work out every day. You don't just say like, Hey, worked out. I'm done. I'm buff. Did it. Like, or, oh, I ate, you know, and, and, and then you're like, because I ate world hunger isn't an issue. 
Like we kind of do that with our business. Like we say like, oh, I did branding. Therefore my branding is taken care of. It's done. Yeah. It's all done. I worked out. So I want to just like, if there's a, a big thing we can do is shift. We can shift the mindset that branding is an everyday activity that's tied to our, how we share our business to accomplish our business goals. And that's actually the definition of brand strategy. Would you believe that? Brand strategy is, is going after your business goals and using your brand to do it. That's brand strategy. So we want to do that every day. And so, so really excited. Uh, if you have a question, um, are, are we allowed to, to, to tell them that? Like, if I have a question, ask Steven, like, <laughs> that, that's comment my, on the podcast. final question of the right. event of the podcast is where can people find out more information? <laughs> well, if you, uh, in the show notes, you're going to give you my link tree, uh, there you can watch my award-winning talk. Uh, mm -hmm. that I give. It's 10 minutes long, or you can check out the brand science checklist. It's also on there, or you can shoot me an email uh, as well. Uh, even have a program to help uh, take this all off your, off your, uh, your docket. Uh, I could talk to you about how to help you, but uh, the goal is to learn uh, how brand science works. So you can grow an authentic and memorable business that sells and grows with brand science. That's the goal. That's so. awesome. Well, we're definitely have you back on and you know, who knows, we will probably need to have a course on this. So everybody should look out for that because they'll definitely be talking to you about it. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's just such a vital component of business and the way you describe it is it just, it's just completely essential. And just to, to build off of your, you know, eating or working out, breathing, that's another thing. If you do it once, it's, not going to keep you alive. Right. So you just got to keep on going. I forgot about that one, Mark. Thanks for reminding <laughs> me to breathe. You, you know, and here's, breathe. The interesting, here's the interesting thing I love, and this is why I love, you know, digital marker is you guys are on the front lines, helping people learn how to do these skills every day. And what's really, really neat is branding is kind of this, like, we're like your cousin. Like we, we, we oh. also are part of the family and, and branding is kind of orbiting in that marketing family. And, and so it's like, this is why everything that you're teaching makes sense. This is, and without effective branding, you know, and as your platform, it's going to be really, really hard for you to, to get traction. Um, and honestly, that's the thing that makes me the saddest is to see incredibly passionate people working so hard at ads and campaigns and things without, you know, the kind of the underpinnings of a strong brand foundation. Mm. So so check out the bit.ly link uh, or uh, the link tree and can check out the brand science checklist or uh, any of the resources that make sense for you for where you're at. And thanks so much awesome. for listening today. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, thank you. And and we'll definitely have you back on. You know, like I said, it, I think this is a, a completely lost component of marketing, all marketing uh, that people kind of ignore or they kind of regulate to something that's a nice to have or a luxury Being once sure. they're successful instead of being the base of everything that you're doing. And when you have that base, then everything else becomes functional. It becomes useful versus I'm trying TikTok this month or we should send a newsletter sometimes <laughs> like, okay, well, you know, get your brand down first and start doing whatever you want. It'll be great. Right. Uh, but th thank you so much, Stephen. And, and yeah, we will have you back on. We'll continue through the uh, brand education path uh, with each episode. And I'll definitely be talking to you about uh, making a potential course about this because I think it's 100% necessary. Oh, you bet. And I forgot to breathe again. That's what happened just now. <laughs> See, <laughs> you, if I didn't say breathe, you'd be like, I forgot, oh, I ate and I exercised. 
and I still died. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Stephen. And thank you so much for listening. Be sure to hit that follow button so you get notified when all of our new episodes release. Please share this with a friend who's clueless about digital marketing. And don't forget to visit digitalmarketer.com where you can access all of our courses, certifications, and training programs. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll see you next time. This is Digital Marketer. Digital Marketer.